Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. I want to talk about personal practice. Somehow it's always a question for people. What is my practice? Even if you participate in an organized religious or spiritual school like Soto Zen, people still feel like it's an unsettled question as to what they're supposed to do or what their personal practice is supposed to look like, particularly in an everyday sense. That, you know, Soto is all about just sitting practice. And we know that. And so, you know, do Zazen every day is sort of the whole, it's not the whole practice that we have as a school, but it's the the heart of it. And all the other forms that we have are just supposed to support Zazen practice. And it seems like that should settle it, except I think people still just constantly wrestle with their schedule or their energy level or like when and how to sit and it, and change it up when it doesn't feel right. And, discuss it all the time. I mean, it's a common topic of conversation, I think, even over tea at the Zendo. Sitting and talking about the practice is pretty commonplace. Somehow it feels good that it's never like this settled, stagnant thing that everybody just does by rote, which is a lot closer to the kind of religious practices I grew up around, that you're supposed Mm -hmm. to do the same thing and there is a correct way to do it. But... I feel like there's too much worrying about it that happens around me. And I've been certainly guilty of doing too much worrying about my personal practice too. Whether I'm doing it right or whether it's enough is a big one. You know, for a practice like ours where it's open-ended and there's inevitably some number of minutes that you have to do the practice for. The question of is this enough minutes or too many minutes? Yeah. You know, those kinds of questions really weigh on people. There's three aspects to practice Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And Sangha is the community. Dharma is the actual studying the way and learning. Buddha is, of course, your sitting practice. And I think the other things, the Sangha and the Dharma, help you want to actually even do the Mm. Buddha practice at all. Because it's sometimes not very fun. Sometimes it takes a lot out of you to even just say, I'm going to go sit today. And the community, having someone there with you, sharing in that frustration sometimes, can be really helpful to want to do it in the first place. We know that there's a lot of benefits, scientifically speaking, for sitting meditation practices and how it can help you in everyday life. And even knowing those benefits, when you sit down, you think that you're going to die. I sure (laughs) do sometimes anyway. Like, I think if I sit here any longer, I might die. Mm -hmm. But the reward is not necessarily, like, connected. You go and sit, and you might feel good, like, afterwards, But in that moment while you're sitting, it can be quite a struggle sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we need to have the the community especially there. So with that being said, it can be very difficult for me to want to sit, even though I know the benefits of it. Sometimes I will only sit for 10 minutes at my house. That might be before bed. I'll take my my cushion and just face the wall for, for 10 minutes and be like, that's all I could muster today. Do you muster it every day? No, I definitely don't do it every day. I wish I did. My goal would be to wake up in the morning and do the sunrise meditation every morning. Mm -hmm. 
when the pandemic wasn't going on, I would go to Atlanta Soda Zen Center and meditate with everybody. I would go on Sundays, meditate for an hour and a half, hang out with the community. It was quite fun. I can't wait to do that. I know. It, it, it really is great. And I was intimidated for a long time about Sundays because I'm like, an hour and a half sitting? I can't do that. It's actually very easy if you're with a lot of people. Well, not very easy, but... If you're by yourself, it's only you holding yourself accountable and you're like, I could just get up right now. There's <laughs> Nobody's stopping there's no, me. <laughs> no one's going to stop you at the Sangha either, by the yeah. way. If anybody's yeah, yeah. like wondering if someone's going to like scold you for getting up and hit you like, with I the can't stick. meditate anymore. <laughs> Did I tell you that I had Sensei hit me with the stick on purpose? I've never done that. I went to the Zen Center for some errand a uh, few weeks ago and... I needed to get something from him. So I met him there and I, I knew I was going to do this. Like I thought of it on the way there. I said, you named me after the Kyosaku and I've never received it before. I've never sat with people who were trained to do it. I was always, when I was younger, I was led to believe that this was a passe thing that Americans don't do because it's abusive or violent or whatever. And whether I think that or not, you named me after it so i have to know what it's like will you please administer the kyosaku to me so we went into the zendo and i sat facing the wall and he gave me a good whack on the shoulders and he said okay that was about a one (laughs) and i was like i didn't express it this emphatically but in my mind i was like out of five or out of ten because that hurt (laughs) and and so either way i was just like uh, okay, give me a give me a two, and then he did it again, and and I felt it the whole way home, driving all the way back, fifteen minutes from the Zendo to Decatur. My shoulders were like radiating heat. Wow! And <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, except that I was also paying completely unclouded, perfect attention to everything that happened to me all the whole way home. You know, so that's another aspect of Sangha practice that. That you don't really get at home. You can't hit yourself. Anyway, I feel like you're giving a really Zen answer to the question that you're just not really drawing a line between Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha practice for yourself. The way that you're describing these communal aspects of practice, they don't seem to have like a different role in your life than the individual practice that you're describing not personally but again since we do split it up into three parts there's going to be times in your practice where you're going to focus on one more than the other before i even started meditating i was reading a lot of books so that would be sort of dharma practice and now i've been doing a lot of the sangha practice i'm part of the communications team and organize the website and been doing that for a while and that's kind of what i've been focusing on especially during the pandemic you can learn that there's lots of other aspects to the practice. And I know Soto Zen does put a very big emphasis on the sitting. That's what you need to be doing. But I probably won't sit if it's not for the Sangha. For in what sense? Well, that they're there for me. Physically next to you? 
I don't necessarily, I can, I can meditate without people next to me, but I, I seem to be maybe needing that crutch a little bit more than others. <laughs> when you say you need that crutch more than others, do you mean that the pandemic has been extra hard on your yeah. sitting practice? Yeah, it has, but I'm still, again, I'm still want to be a part of this Sangha and I want to be helpful. And even if I can't practice as much as I would like to, and uh, maybe I'm not trying hard enough, but I don't want to make myself feel guilty because I don't want guilt to be a part of this practice. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> I feel you on that. It was a part of my Christian practice. Yeah, it was part of my Jewish practice. It is, con- continues to be part of my Jewish practice. That's a whole another thing, God and God's impact on feeling guilty about things. One aspect of me doesn't want to tell people how much I don't sit. Oh. Uh, <laughs> mm. I, mean, I feel like that's a little embarrassing. Like, I was in Buddhist, a Soto Zen Buddhist, which, you know, focuses on the sitting, and I haven't been doing that very much lately. Oh, man. Oh, this is really rich. I feel like this is like the heart of exactly why we're supposed to do this. Because you understand that everyone who listens to this is feeling immense relief listening to you. Right. I hope so. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. Everybody has the anxiety about whether they're sitting enough. And a sensei's given an interesting answer that I've heard to the question of enough or whether one is sitting enough. And the only answer he seems willing to go on record with is, if you feel like it's not enough, it's not enough. But that's the end of the answer, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it implies if you feel like you're doing what you can, then you're doing what you can, and you're, therefore you're doing the practice. But that's not the point. I think the point is that feeling that you're describing of being hesitant to tell people that you're about how much you're sitting, like, well, you're, you're doing it anyway. So you must be doing that for the benefit of all beings, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't want people to feel guilty Mm. because again, like that was something that like, I felt so guilty in my Christian practice. And I, and I don't think that, you know, every Christian feels this way. And I I hope you don't because it doesn't, it's not a very good feeling uh, to, especially because there was the whole, like God's watching you thing, uh, no matter what you do. So whatever I felt like I was doing something bad or wasn't praying enough or something like that, I would just Mm. feel guilty. So every day I would just feel guilty knowing that. And eventually I just had to be like, I can't do this anymore. I can't rightfully just feel guilty every time I do something that's mildly gray area. (laughs) 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 My husband actually will meditate in the morning. Mm -hmm. He does a guided meditation. I think it's a pretty popular app. And I'll go meditate with him when he when he does that. I like get kind of excited. I'm like, someone's meditating. I'm going to go meditate too. Uh-huh. Oh, it gives you a, it gives you the Sangha feeling. <laughs> and maybe I should start meditating with my cat, Zelda. Oh, there you go. Because she kind of does, I feel like. She'll just be sitting there kind of, you know, relaxed with her eyes kind of half shut. And like, I think she's meditating. I should, yeah. maybe I should go meditate with her next That's time she does that. That's a funny riff on that classic koan right it's like does a dog have buddha nature i don't know does a cat have buddha nature obviously (laughs) (laughs) yeah i always feel like cats exhibit some sort of buddha nature even at least in that moment yeah because a lot of times she's kind of annoying and a Mm -hmm. big handful but uh (laughs) she does have her moments and i guess that's just like me because you know i don't always act like the buddha but i (laughs) i strive to yeah so is, 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 are there other, you mentioned last time that you checked out a yogic chanting practice before you came to the Buddhist centers that you checked out. Yeah. And you said it wasn't for you, but I want to hear more about that practice. I've done quite a few different styles of meditation. Mm-hmm. 
I am kind of trying to be like, okay, be open to them because this is other people's practices and it's important mm. to them. <laughs> like, I don't want to have like that ego and be like, well, you know, mm. citizens actually the best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> might not be the best for them. I, I don't know. But my siblings have different practices than me and I they still have meditative practices that are important to them. Mm. And we all grew up religious. And I think mm -hmm. this has been something that we need. Mm. We needed to replace Christianity with something. We can't live like uh -huh. a-religiously. Yeah. So that's why they have their own practices. And my brother Nate has his own that he just kind of makes up on the spot and like thinks the universe and burns some sage. And I meditated with him before and he took me to this one where you drink cacao uh -huh. and then they did like a sound meditation. It's all very wonderful experiences, but why does Zazen work for me? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be the community. I really do feel like that is the reason. You mean the kinds of people attracted to that practice? Yeah, I think that a lot of them are, are more like me. Mm. Let's circle back to that. Okay. Tell me about your regular everyday practice. Well, I sit a lot every day. Good for you. Which I want to say in a way that doesn't sound like I created this podcast in order to brag about how much <laughs> Zazen I do. But I mean, I've always known that Zazen is my practice to the extent that not well, I mean, always since I learned about it, which but I was pretty young when I learned about it. And when I say that, I mean that every time I've meditated before, no matter who was teaching or no matter what they were teaching, I ended up dropping whatever was happening and just sitting. It always seemed like doing too much to me to follow instructions. So I found this practice really natural, but it took me a really long time to find people who talked about meditation the way that I experienced it. And that was my encounters with Zen in college. But even still, as I mentioned last time, it was like a pretty serious warrior's Rinzai version of, what, of the mm -hmm. practice. And so it wasn't until it wasn't until I moved out to California that I started to sit with Soto Zen practitioner, people trained in Soto Zen lineages. And this is this Sangha is actually the most formal contact I've had with Soto Zen. I've never had a teacher from another lineage before. I just sort of went to the Zen Center in, the, in Oakland when I lived in the Bay Area and sat with them once a week. But the way to fit it into my life has changed dramatically over the years. Yeah. I've always felt pretty inclined to long sits, but for a long time, 30 minutes was the long sit. And, you know, 10 minutes is too short for me. I knew that my sweet spot was somewhere in there. The stretches of time that I've tended to sit have been usually measurable in months, which is better than days, right? But I'll sit every day for three months or four months. And then like the perfect storm of wrong circumstances will happen one day and I'll miss it and then it'll be over. And this is this is I'm talking about five plus years ago uh, before I got married, even let alone mm -hmm. had kids like that was sort of the pattern. The thing I started to figure out about myself was that resistance was coming up when well, I mean, I knew there was resistance to, to doing the practice. And so I tried to examine why. Why is this thing that I seem to love so hard for me to actually get myself to do? And eventually I realized that it just wasn't fitting into my life 
which either meant I was sitting too long or I was sitting at the wrong time of day. Like there was always some practical reason why it wasn't right and I could fix it if I tried. I didn't really fix it until the pandemic started when obviously <laughs> we all had a lot more time on our hands. Yeah. But I already had a, a kid, a one-year-old at home at that time. There was already such a crazy life going on. And then we, we, we knew by that time that we were pregnant again and that there was another kid coming. So the prospect of having two little kids running around, like it didn't feel like a threat to my practice, really. It just sort of felt like I better get it figured out or I'm going to lose it. We also got a lot of warnings from people, rabbis mostly. I didn't have too many conversations with other Buddhists about having kids, but we were surrounded by rabbis because uh -huh. this was starting when my wife was in rabbinical school, but also into like her first year as a rabbi. Lots of people were like, enjoy your personal spiritual practice while you can, because when you have kids, you're, it will all disappear. And I, I didn't believe them from the first moment they started talking like that, but I, I knew I needed to find a way. I brought the Zazen back as a way of sort of getting my act together. <laughs> Uh, you know, after a month of like utter just sloth and torpor, failure to cope with the first month of lockdown. It wasn't even like I need to be more mindful or something. It was just I want to have something that I do every day so that I'm not just lying around in sweatpants reacting to the news. Well, that's been very important during this pandemic. And I yeah. think now that I have have some days off, I, I actually feel worse than I did when I had like a lot of things to do. Mm. I thought, well, I'm so stressed out. I have a lot of things to do. And now I have time and I'm like, oh, this is this is much worse. And that was how it started off was just like, now there's some structure to my life. Like, thank God. But I dropped into it really fast because I realized regardless of how, you know, quote unquote, mindful I was for the rest of the day or whatever, what it really gave me was a period of complete sanity in the midst of the complete insanity. And so that became a very attractive force. Finally, there was something pulling me onto the cushion instead of me having to push myself onto it. And I mean, I, it wasn't the first time that it ever happened, but it was it was a good sign to me that that was happening in the midst of a situation like this. And so I had the presence of mind to be like, while I'm motivated to this extent, I need to find a sangha now. And I need to look for a sangha in Atlanta now because there's no point in finding one here. We're moving in three, four, whatever, however many months. Let me begin the process of planting seeds of intrinsic motivation to do this practice. And so that's when I when I reached out and found the Sangha. And just like you were describing earlier, it get, that gave me so many supportive structures around my practice that it became something that no longer took an input of energy to do. Mm -hmm. Or rather, it didn't take it from me. The input of energy required to do the practice was coming from other people now. And it was it was for the sake of other people. I was so taken by what you said about not doing zazen if it wasn't for the sangha. That for just like rang out of my head. I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean to do to sit zazen for the sangha? And I asked you if you meant like sitting literally next to people, and you're like, that helps a lot, but not that's not exactly what I mean. This is what I think of in in my own practice when you said that is like the sangha is supporting me in this practice now, so I'm going to sustain it. And so what what I decided to do once I finally started to feel that way was I decided to really just like drive it home 
like crank it up as high as I could so that it would become something like brushing my teeth, you know? Yeah. That's just like something I do every day. And if I like miss it once in a while because of some crazy situation, like, so what? But I will feel weird that I didn't do it because my teeth won't be clean. Right, right, right. And then I'll come right back to it. And it has worked. I'm sitting for for 50 minutes a day at 5.30 in the morning. 50 minutes is what Koto Sawakiroshi made people do on his retreats. And so he's like my sort of big hero Zen teacher right now. Uh, And, you know, I've been reading a lot about him. The thing that just dazzles me about his teachings was that he's credited with, with bringing Zazen practice to the people, bringing it out of the monastery and to the everyday people. Like he made people, regular people with like lives and jobs, householders, if you will, want to do intensive Zen practice. Yeah. And yet his retreats were 22 hours a day on the cushion. Wow. Or, or like really what, it, what that means is 22 hours a day where there was somebody with a kiyosaku waiting for you to fall asleep. And then two hours of the middle of the night, there was no one there to hit you if you fell asleep so that you could fall asleep on the cushion if you wanted to. And like, that is not my thing. But the idea of like, could I even do one period of sitting 50 minutes of Zazen without moving as a daily practice, 50 minutes of Zazen and 10 minutes of, of walking. That's what one cycle of the thing, you know, do that 22 times a day. That's that's a Kodosawaki retreat. So my thought was, if I'm going to make this into a habit, into something that I just do as part of my life, let me do one of those in the morning. And then anything less than that will feel like a breeze. It won't be hard in any way to sit for 30 minutes if I get used to doing 50 minutes plus 10 minutes of walking every day. And that has turned out to be true, but I definitely feel like I'm way in the middle of the process. Like I'm nowhere near the end of the process of making this into something that is just a natural part of my everyday life. But I haven't missed a day. I I haven't missed a day of Zazen. Like there have been days when I couldn't make it to the cushion at 5.30 and there have been days where I couldn't make it through because of babies or whatever, work, anything through 50 entire minutes. But I sort of set the ceiling. I was like, if I sit for 20 minutes over the course of the entire day, I didn't miss that day. And I don't mean 20 consecutive minutes. Like, I mean, if I could only sit for five minutes at a time, four times, I'm still good to go. I'm still okay. like, reinforcing the reflex. So there have been like maybe five or 10, 20 minute days since March. But most days I'm hitting that hour of practice in the morning and i'm just gonna keep it up because i feel like i'm doing it for the sangha as you said there's another level of that too that i don't really know i don't really fully understand yet but you know we say in the sort of mahayana buddhism writ large we say we do things for the benefit of all beings and there is a sense that's building that i don't fully feel with my entire body but i'm building towards a sense that if i don't do this practice I won't be able to be of complete benefit to the world. That's just an idea. That's just an intellectual reconstruction of what the feeling feels like. But what it is, is a responsibility. I'm beginning to feel a responsibility to do the practice. And it's the same responsibility in much, in exactly the same way that you were saying that Sangha is the same practice as Buddha practice. To me, this Buddha practice responsibility is the same as the responsibility to community and to others and to all beings. So as you keep wisely pointing out, the the three treasures of Buddhism are there so that we can 
adjust the balance as necessary. And just because mine is super heavy on the Buddha practice right now doesn't mean that it's not going to shift again. But what I definitely feel, I think both of us are doing, you know, because you do you do so much service to the community and, you know, here we are just like giving time for the Benjamin yeah, community right we're, now. we're practicing right now. Totally. And I think we're raising the level of practice. And that's how you do it for the sake of all beings is you just lift it up. Do the practice to the greatest extent you can and then do it a little more. I don't know. It's weird to think of a, of a practice like this being for others and not for yourself. I think that there is a Western idea that Buddhism is about sitting by yourself and trying to attain enlightenment. Well, I think that's why it's actually attractive to Westerners. Mm. In the beginning, it feels like I'm sitting to better myself and this is an individual practice. But that's a trick, isn't it? It kind of seems, I don't know. (laughs) You are doing it for yourself as well, but that's not, if I was just doing it for myself, I don't think I would do it very long. I don't know. I, I feel like by sitting like, I can learn to do my precepts better Hmm. and I won't, I won't maybe argue with my husband as much if I'm sitting regularly Mm -hmm. or if I'm participating in the Sangha and uh, studying the Dharma. I feel like I'm more balanced in my everyday approach to life. Hmm. And that's how it starts. Yeah. But by the peak of the period of Zazen, you are your husband and you are, the random people on the street and then, you know, benefiting yourself and benefiting others is is no different, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's not something that you do that only benefits yourself because mm-hmm. you're not really gaining anything. What you receive in return is shared amongst everybody. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gasho.